Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Cersei podcast. Before we get into today's message, we want to remind you that if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here in our local community, you can text the word Cersei to 88000 for more information. There you can let us know how we can be praying for you this week, get plugged into a life group, you can give online, sign up for a serve team, and so much more. We also want to let you know that you can join us live every Sunday in person at 9 or 11 a.m. or stream our 11 a.m. service live every week on Facebook and on YouTube. Finally, you can find today's message notes in the Bible app. Just tap the link in the podcast episode notes to follow along with us. Now let's get ready to hear a great message today. to walk with me and we're going to look through the book of Luke chapter 15 or the chapter rather of Luke chapter 15 and we're going to do I want to teach for a little bit on this thought the uh, prodigal circle and this is a story in scripture that many of you probably have heard and if you haven't heard this story that's okay I'm going to recap it in just a minute but it's the story of a father and two sons and the younger son wanted an inheritance early. And so the story of the prodigal son, a lot of us know you, you grow up listening to it in kid life or little life. And you hear it a lot as you're growing up. If you've grown up in the Bible Belt, chances are you've heard this story many times. But as I was studying it uh, earlier this week, I, I noticed something that this story actually makes a big circle. And so if you're a note taker and you got physical notes or something you can kind of draw in, when I go through these points, one, two, three, and four, I want you to draw it in the shape of a circle uh, at the top of your page because this is a, it's, a, it's a tragically beautiful image of this circle that sometimes we find ourselves in. And the, pro- the story of the prodigal son, to me, is the keynote address of Jesus in a very specific um, uh, s- section of his parables. Uh, and let's go to uh, verse 1 real quick. Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, sets up the reason why he's telling this story. It says this, The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So this was a big deal to the religious leaders at the time because you just didn't do this. You didn't associate people with people like that. And because of this one piece of scripture, Jesus goes through three different parables. And if you're not sure what, the, what a parable is, it's basically just a story, a long illustration, a point that Jesus is trying to make through a story. And he goes into three different parables that all have to do with the same common theme, okay? The, uh, the, the, the point he's trying to drive home is the value of the lost. And so he goes into three parables. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then the big story, the keynote, the feature presentation is the lost son. Now, the Romans called Christianity an anti-religion. And the reason why was because this was so different than a lot of the religions or really anything that had existed up until this point. And so we get to this crescendo, the feature presentation story that Jesus is trying to drive this point home to. And we get to the, product, or the, the parable of the lost son. Now, I'm not going to, if you, if you want to follow along, Luke chapter uh, 15, verses 11 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole thing for time's sake and because you just listening to me read that much is going to put you to sleep. And I don't want you to be asleep this morning. So I'm going to quickly, if you haven't heard this story, I'm just going to kind of recap some stuff and kind of give you the cliff note version of this. But 
Jesus is telling this story, and he tells a story about a father who has two sons. Now, he mentioned the, the father is well off, a wealthy father. And wealth in this part of history meant powerful. So if you had money, if you had a resource, if you had land and cattle and all those things, then you were considered a person of power. The younger son gets a little greedy, and he asks his father, I want my inheritance early. I want it now. And the father reluctantly agrees, gives him his son his third of the inheritance. Okay, in this time, it's, it's usually believed that the older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get a third. Gives him his share. Son goes to Vegas, okay? Burns through all the money. Not really Vegas for some of you who are like, Vegas was back then? No, it's just an example to kind of help us out. He goes, burns through all of his money. He acquires friends, though, in the process. And the Bible says, kind of like, you know, if he burned through his money, guess where the friends go? Right with the money. They just leave him. So now he's alone, and he finds himself in the midst of a famine. And so famine has hit the, hit the area, and now he finds himself alone. And so in order to make ends meet, he's struggling. He's having a really hard time. He goes to work for a farmer and realizes in his in his. In his isolation in his terrible living situation. He's hungry, starving. He finds himself in a tough spot that while he's feeding pigs and feeding them the slop, he looks and realizes that that slop is starting to look pretty good. And he comes to this epiphany that even my father's servants are living better lives than I am right now. And he says, what kind of situation can I be in where the servants for my father, they, at least they get three, course, three meals a day, at least they have a bed to lay down in. And so what he does is he, ma he, ha he makes this, this decision. I'm going to go home and beg my father not to come back as a son, but to come back just as a servant. Like, let me work the land for you. Let me, let me scoop up cow poop. Can I do something just so I can have some meals and a place to lie my head? And so he makes his way back home. And the Bible says that while he was a long ways off, the father sees him and runs toward him embraces him, throws a party for him, gets the fatted calf, does the whole nine yards, throws a big shebang, gets the whole neighborhood block party. The place is hopping, okay? Um, Justin Bieber is there performing. I mean, it's amazing. And he has a big party. And then the other son finds out about it. The older son that we hadn't heard a lot about. The older son finds out about it and says, Dad, I've been here the whole time. Why didn't I get a party? Like, I was a faithful son. Why didn't you throw a party for me. And then it, it comes to a great conclusion, which I'm going to get to a little bit later. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to take that story and I want to unpack it. I want to unpack this, the, the, the crescendo, the feature presentation of this Lost trilogy, which I think ended better than the actual TV show Lost. But I want to look at this journey and I want to go through the experiences that this prodigal son faced and how we can find ourselves in every one of these. Because if we just look at the story of this one son, then we miss the genius of Jesus. We miss the genius of this story that he's weaving, the point he's really trying to get across. And so this morning, if you're a note taker, I'm going to give you some opportunity to, some, to take some notes around here. But here we go. The first thing that the prodigal son encounters is pride. The first thing that, that, that this son, this younger son encounters is pride. And I almost called this the pride circle, but I really... Because this, this point right here is the point. Pride led to the beginning of all of this. It was this younger son's pride that led him to want to pull away from his father. 
Pride is a powerful thing. And if you don't believe me, pride is what pulled Lucifer out of heaven. Pride is dangerous. Pride is powerful. Pride will say, give me. Pride always says, give it to me. I put myself above everything else. Give me. I deserve it. I can handle it. Give it to me. And Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction. I was thinking about this this weekend. If you want to find the least prideful people that you can, go follow prideful people. If you want to find people who have no pride in their life, follow the prideful people because eventually destruction will follow and you can get humbled very quickly. Follow prideful people. You will soon see them transform into the most humble person you can because pride always comes before destruction. Pride comes first. It's the first step on the pathway away from the Father, and the same is true for us today. As most of you know, if you, you get an inheritance once your parents have died. So what this son was basically saying is to ask for my inheritance early I would rather wish my father dead. This is what pride will do. It will push away any consequences. It will push away the what ifs. It'll push everything else away and it will say, give me what I want. And it's easy, really, it's really easy to think of this story. I know when I used to hear this story, to think of it like, you know, this wealthy father is like Scrooge McDuck. Anybody remember DuckTales? Okay, Scrooge McDuck, money bags, just everywhere. He's got a whole vault full of gold coins, you know, just swimming in it. And it's easy for us to think this wealthy father's just got bags of coins everywhere. He's just going to Venmo his son some cash or here's the credit card. Just do what you need to do. But that's not how it worked contextually at this point in history. See, you didn't have cash wealth waiting for you at the first community bank. What you had was land and property and estate and cattle and oxen and crops And so what this father had to do was not just write him a check, but he had to literally sell off a third of his estate. A third of his estate, he just had to sell off, get the money, and give it to his son. And it's so so amazing. When you really put it in that concept, the, the son did not care what this meant to the father. Because suddenly in that moment, a third of his his land is gone. It affects the father's livelihood. It is a sacrifice on him. It's a drain on him. And the son is saying, I want your stuff. I don't want you. And this is a powerful, powerful statement because it gives a glimpse into what our lives can sometimes be like if we're not careful. And so often we don't realize that this is us. It's easy for us to sit here in 2021 and hear this story and say, that is a terrible thing for a son to do. Yet, how many of us have done this to God. How many of us have done this to our heavenly Father? That God, I want the blessings that you have for me, but I really don't want you. That we pray when life gets hard, but we don't want the relationship with him when life is good. That God, I want the good things that you have for me, the most overused scripture in all the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans you have for me, but we don't understand the context behind it because we don't have the relationship with him. Pride will always drive a wedge between us and them, us and God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. 
um, the, the New Living Translation version says it this way. If you think you're too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. And this is my favorite part. You're not that important. Okay? Everybody look at the person next to you and say you're not that important. Because <laughs> we all need a little humility. If you're watching online, put it in the chat. Okay? You're not that important. We are not that important that we can't help other people, that we can't pull the focus off of ourselves for one minute and shine the attention to someone in need, shine the attention where it really belongs on Jesus. The amazing thing is that this scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, follows verse 2 that says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And that means like, okay, so if, if you're too good to bear one another's burdens, then you're deceiving yourself. Pride will do that to us every time. Pride not only destroys us, but it blinds us along the way. So the second thing this prodigal son encountered along the way, so he's left his father. Pride has pushed him away from his father. And now he finds a change in environment. He finds a change in his environment. Now this is a point, man, I love talking about environment because I think it's something we overlook a lot. And I know I tell our students some of these stories and these examples and these, these points a lot because I want to drive home the, the importance of someone's environment. You guys know if you're a parent or an adult in this place, you know during those years who you surround yourself with, the people, the situations you put yourself in determine how you grow and where you grow. Your environment plays a significant role. But listen, it is not just a teenager's environment that can trap them. Every adult in this room, every, every person in this room, every leader in this room, if we are not careful, our environment can trap us and hook us up. For the prodigal, his environment changed drastically when he went from the comforts of his father's house to the wild living of Vegas or Atlantic City or wherever he went. His environment changed drastically. His environment home was controlled, and that's probably one of the reasons why he wanted to leave. He wanted to spread his wings and, and, and do life the way he wanted to do life. And when he found himself in a place that he couldn't handle, his environment ended up getting the best of him. What started out as fun and exciting and I can do whatever I want to turned into literal famine for this younger son. I saw a quote that Warren Buffett has said that he never wants to go into debt because he's afraid to discover the behavior that he's capable of. This man with so much money does not want to go into debt because he's afraid of his environment. If he finds himself in that environment, what he could be capable of. I want everybody right now to picture three items for me, okay? I want you to picture a potato. Okay, everybody got that in your mind? Okay, some of you are thinking russet. Some of you are thinking red potato. That's amazing. I want you to think of a potato. I want you to think of an egg. Just standard chicken egg that you find at Walmart. Some of you are thinking the brown eggs. Some of you are thinking the white eggs. That's okay. And then finally, I want you to think of coffee beans. Okay? Some of you are thinking, you know, good quality coffee beans, and some of you are thinking Starbucks, and that's okay. But I want you to think of these three items. They seem to not have a whole lot in common. But here's, here's the amazing thing. If you take the potato and put it in boiling water, if you take the egg and put it in boiling water, and you take the coffee beans and put them in boiling water. A lot of you, if you've done anything on your own, realize what, what happens next. The potato softens. It gets soft enough that you can make delicious, delicious mashed potatoes that only contain 1% mashed potatoes, 90% butter. 
the, the egg hardens. That's how you get a hard-boiled egg. Makes delicious, delicious deviled eggs. Is it lunchtime yet? Because I feel my body wanting lunch right now. It makes hard-boiled eggs. But the coffee, coffee stays, the beans stay pretty much the same, pretty hard. But what the beans do is it changes the water and makes delicious, delicious sweet nectar that makes me get up in the morning, okay? My point in saying those three things is this. You can either be changed by your environment or you can be the one to change your environment. The environment, this boiling water, changed the potato into something, changed the egg into something completely different, but the water changed when the coffee got in. Your environment, you have a role to play in all of this. Last 18 months, we've all gone through the same year. It was funny, over the weekend, uh, one of our MCs said, uh, welcome to, to Collide 2020. And we're like, bro, it's 2021. He's like, well, it feels like the same year to me. <laughs> because it does. We've all gone through this same year together. But some people have been changed by their environment, and some people have changed their environment. People have reacted different over here. Some people turned into mush. Some people hardened up. But the real ones, the people who are strong, people who are strong in their faith and know that God's got bigger stuff for them, begin to change their environment. How can we use this experience to make the most out of it? You can either be changed by it or change it. The prodigal son environment changed him. He found himself stuck in a position that the environment was too much for him, and he got to a place that, that led him to a very rough and hard place. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Meaning this, you can do a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's legal that you can do. Doesn't mean you should do it. I can be on social media, but maybe I shouldn't. I can, I can be around those toxic people, but, but is it beneficial to me? Our environment, you may not have a lot of control over the environment that you're in, but you have the, the, the power to change your environment. You guys have heard this quote said probably a thousand times, that life is only 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. How are you going to change your environment? Because just like this younger son, if we allow it, our environment slowly drains the life out of us leads us to a place of starvation. And it's amazing that when you're starving, what you get an appetite for. Anything sounds good when you're starving. Me and Lauren have been binge-watching this show on the History Channel called Alone. And it's just this survival show, and it's, it's just one person. They get all their camera gear. So there's no camera crew with them to help out. There's no medical team with them. It's just them, camera crew, on an island. And there's 10 people spread out at different parts, and they're all competing to see who can go the longest. And they go like 50 to 80 days just by themselves in nature with hardly any supplies, and they got to fend for themselves. And just a really funny example of what you will get an appetite for, one guy at day 55 um, in the Arctic realized that his, his supplies were going pretty low. So he put out his fish net, and when he brought it up, he didn't catch any fi fish, but he had a bunch of leeches in there. And he was so hungry, so starving. And these leeches, the bait he was using for the fish was a dead mouse. These leeches had been dining on mouse blood. But he was so hungry, he ate them. Roasted them like marshmallows on a fire and just shish kebabbed them. It's amazing what you get an appetite for when you're starving. 
Another guy on this show, he, he, was, he, was, he was really hungry, and so he was starting to eat dandelions and bull kelp. And he's like, it felt good in his stomach. It filled him up. But what he didn't realize until about two weeks later is that that stuff is a diuretic, and it started to dehydrate him. So what he thought was filling him up on the inside was actually killing him slowly. And I wonder how many of us, our environment, we think is healthy for us, but it ends up killing us slowly in the process. Because we're starving, we're wanting to eat anything. So we go through. The prodigal son is, is found in a bad environment, and he realizes that he has to go home. And when he, real, when, when he arrives, he's, he's greeted by two different reactions. The first reaction is from the father. Father is so happy to see him. Look at what it says, Luke 15, verse 20. While he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It goes on in verse 22. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The father's reaction is point number three in this circle, the sacrificial the sacrificial. See, I want to unpack this because at first it sounds like this is just the love of a father. Are y'all still with me this morning? Are y'all still with me? The father's reaction was sacrificial. And some of you are here and you're like, well, I mean, if you're a good parent or even a decent parent, or even if you had a good parent or decent parent, you hear this story and go, well, duh, if my son was gone that long, I'd run after him too and hug him and I'd throw a party. But this was not common at this point in history. There's a lot to unpack with here. And Jesus knew this. Jesus understood the ramifications of what he was saying in this moment. He, he wanted the lost to hear that they could be welcomed home. He wanted the religious leaders to know what it meant to be loved by the Father. And he wanted the followers of Jesus to understand how they should act. So let's unpack this. Number one, the father ran. We have to understand that first. The father ran after his son. And people of wealth at this point in history did not run. You were wealthy, you had power, you didn't run. In culture at this point in history, you didn't show your legs. And if you were going to run, if you showed your legs, it was a sign of shame. Thank God that thing is not, uh, that, that cultural thing is not here in Arkansas during grilling season or there would be shame at tailgates everywhere, okay? But this, this didn't happen. You didn't show your legs. And in order to run, you had to hike up your robe and, and take off, take off your sandals and start sprinting. So culturally, to this first century man, for him to take up and run after his son, put shame on himself, and he was willing to bear that to go after his son. Second thing this father did was he embraced him. According to Deuteronomy law, that what this younger son did to this father was punishable by death by stoning. This father was within his rights to have his son, his son stoned. But yet he embraced him. And the most beautiful part about this point of the story is that if anybody had thrown a stone at this son, they would have hit the father first because he was embracing him. Come on, if some of y'all aren't getting excited right now about thinking about what Jesus is doing for us, your feeler's broken, okay? Third thing the father did was he put a ring on his son's finger. There's significance in this too. Today, you know, this, this ring I have on here right now tells the ladies I'm taken, Okay? But rings back then had more of a practical use. A, a, a person, a man of wealth and power would have a ring that had his symbol on it. And while he was making a decree, while he was signing bank documents, or he was putting things into law, whatever he was doing on behalf of his house, he would stamp in wax. He would stamp 
his ring to it, saying, this is sealed by me and has the authority of me. So by putting a ring on his son's hand, come on, he said, son, not only am I welcoming you, welcoming you back, but you have the authority of this house. You have the authority of the Father. What's mine is yours. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The sacrifice was so important because it showed the love of Jesus. Jesus was trying to let people know ahead of time, ahead of his death, this is what I'm doing. It was not just a story. It was Jesus redefining sin and grace. And then, then the older brother comes into play. And I think Jesus knew, because this is the only story out of these three that tells this side of the story, that talks about how jealousy rears its ugly head. And it's because I think Jesus knew he really wanted to drive things home to the religious leaders at this point. And I also think he knew that in 2021, we would really be struggling with this ourselves. And so he talks about the other son, and it brings me to the last point in this circle, and that is the selfish. In Jesus' story, the older son refused to go to the party. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. Came in from hunting or gathering or doing work and saw the party going on and told his father, I, 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 no. He told, actually told servants first. He talked to servants first and said, what's going on? I don't want any part of that. It was selfishness that had creeped in. He had been the son that had been faithful. For however long this younger son was gone, this older son was by his side, serving faithfully, doing the work of the house. And Jesus gives this as an opportunity to teach the religious leaders and us today an incredibly important lesson. That it's the disease of me that leads to the defeat of us. Because this circle connects with selfishness that ties right back into pride. Then when we start becoming selfish, pride starts to set in. It goes back to give me. And what started out as a story about a son who was prideful and found redemption now faces the other end of it. The circle starting over again with a different person who now is dealing with selfishness and allowing pride to creep back in. Selfishness will defeat families, people, prodigals, brothers. Pride and selfishness begin to consume this older brother. And in verse 29, he doesn't even say father when he sees his dad. He says, look, you. Selfishness and pride has corrupted him. That disease of me started to lead to the destruction of us. Publicly humiliating his father by saying, look, you. I heard a, a podcast a few months ago, maybe in last year. It hit me really hard. Because this podcast, you know, there's a, a big move right now on, on spiritual deconstruction. It's running rampant through Gen Z right now. We deal with it in student ministry all the time. People are saying, well, I don't like what scripture has to say, so I'm gonna tear everything down and build it up the way I wanna build it. And this is what I wanna do, and this feels right, and this is, this is, this is good for me. And this podcaster I was listening to went through this same process not too long ago, a couple years ago. And unfortunately, he's left the faith. He's left, he, he's no longer proclaiming, he's left evangelical Christianity. He, he doesn't, he's agnostic, you would say. 
He said before, he's like, I, I am open to returning to that, but I need to figure out what it actually is first. And he said a quote that hit me in my heart because he was speaking directly to pastors and parents and leaders who are concerned about their students and their young people who are doing the same thing and leaving the church. And he said, I want to tell you something really important. He said, if you're listening to this and this is you, I want to tell you, they are not leaving the church because of Jesus. They're leaving the church to find Jesus. And I almost got to the point of tears because I, it reminded me of this older son. And I wonder how many people in church, how many of us today have been the older son? We have a hard time wrapping our head around, why are you throwing a party for that person who comes in looking like that? Why are you throwing a party for that person who, who has lived such a terrible life? And we get so caught up in the, why aren't you blessing me, God? that we forget that Jesus values the lost. Jesus cares about the prodigal. He wants the prodigal here. 1 John 3, 17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love even abide in him? If we can say we are a follower of Jesus and a Christian, yet we do not love and care, if we're not bending over backwards to make sure we're taking care of people, regardless of what they believe, regardless of their orientation, regardless of anything else, if we are not saying, I am here for you, I wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus to you, does God's love even abide in here? We are not the authority to fix people. We're the authority to love them like Jesus did. that's the church that Jesus needs, a church that celebrates the lost coming home, a church that's actively pursuing people and loving them. I want you guys to bow your heads with me this morning. I'm, I'm closing with one last thought. And I just want, there's a reason I want you to close your eyes. I just want your attention focused on this for a minute because I don't know which person you are. I don't know which of these characters in this story you relate with because I believe Jesus told it in a way to try to incorporate every different type of person. Maybe you're the prodigal, you're away from the father. Pride got the best of you and you've gone a long ways away and you're in need of coming home. Maybe you're the older brother, selfish, wrapped its web around you. And even though you may be close to the father, you cannot see the forest through the trees and have gotten lost in how you think church should be done how you think things should be done, how you think God should bless you instead of caring about what God cares about. But here's the big hook and twist ending to this story. One son is very bad. One son is very good. But they were both far away from God. But yet you look at what the father does. To the first son, to this prodigal son, Bible says in verse 20 that while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him, felt compassion, and ran. For the second son, verse 28 says, the father came out and began pleading with him. Father left the party to go chase down this son and talk to him. Regardless of where you're at, the father wants to meet you where you are. The father wants to come to you. Father wants to have a place for, he wants you in his house. And he's willing to come meet you halfway. 
Our struggles may be different, but God's plan never changes. He's still pursuing all of us. So this morning, all across this place, if you are here, and maybe you say, Craig, I'm the prodigal. I'm the son that's far away. I'm the, I'm the person who has just left God. Or maybe you're hanging on by a thread. You are on the way out. You are outside the door. You say, Craig, I need to come back home and feel the love of the Father again. Or if you say, Craig, I've stayed home. I've been at church every week. These doors have been open, even during COVID. And if I couldn't be here, I watch faithfully online. I've been doing Bible studies every day. But yet, you find hardness in your heart towards certain people. It doesn't matter who they are. There's hardness in your heart. There's selfishness in there that thinks they got to do it the way I do it. If you're in either of those camps this morning, what I want to ask you to do is just, just slip up your hand. If that's you. If you're watching online, we want to pray for you too. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There's hands open up. You're not alone. Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now, every person in this room, regardless of where we're at, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of where we find ourselves, if we're far away from you, or if we've been sitting in the, whole, the same house the whole time, yet it feels like we're a million miles away from the heart of the Father. God, I pray that you correct us. I pray for correction. And that's a hard thing for us to pray sometimes. It's one of those dangerous prayers that God correct me, break me, reveal to me my shortcomings. Challenge us, God. Break our heart, pull us in closer to you, God. Reveal to us who you are. No more playing games, no more being simple, no more sitting back and just doing church as we've been doing church. God, we want to come close to you. Meet us where we are, God. Run after us like you did the sun. Come outside and meet us even in our anger. Lead us back to the house of the Father. If you would, I just want you to stand all over this place. And if you're comfortable, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you for a moment. Come on, all across this room, stand. If you're comfortable, just put your arms out in front of you like you're receiving something. I've been doing this a lot lately in groups that I'm, in, I'm leading. Because so often I think that we ask God for what we want and don't really take enough time to ask God for what he wants us to have. So as we go back into worship in just a moment. I want to take just 30 seconds. I just want to pray this prayer to God. And I don't want you to have to repeat after me, but I just want the essence of what you speak to God in this moment just to simply say, God, don't let it be what I want. Remove the disease of me. Let pride drip off of me. Let, let selfishness just shake loose from me, God. I want the heart of the Father. I want what you want for me. So God, right now with our hands extended, we receive whatever it is that you have for us, God. Do what only you can do in our lives. Do not let this be about me. Don't, don't let it be my thoughts and what I want, what I think it should look like and all that. God, let it be what you want for me. Pour your spirit out into me and then God, give me the, the courage and the strength and the fortitude and the foundation to stand in it regardless of what culture says, regardless of what voices around me, regardless of what my environment may say. God, let me stand in your truth, stand on your word and be a rock just like you called Peter to be.
move in our life, Jesus. It's in your name.